Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. We have been going through a, a journey in Scripture. We've been uh, titled it A Journey with Jesus. And we took a break about a couple months ago. We went through some uh, Christmas sermons and, and, and looked at some characters of Christmas. And then, again, we've been looking at um, what uh, we are supposed to be doing as a church as far as our new theme. And so now we're going to get back into this study and uh, take the, get back on this journey with Jesus. Some of you have been along the way the whole time from the very beginning. And some of you have been part of the way, and some of you are here new, and you have no idea what we're doing. We're doing exactly what it sounds like. We're taking a journey through Scripture with Jesus to uh, get to know Him better if you already have a relationship with Him. And along the way, we've seen people who didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ come to know Him as Lord and Savior. And so uh, that's what we're hoping to do, is hoping to draw closer to Him through this walk in Scripture. Last message was no exception to the many different uh, things we've learned from the Lord, many different things that have been helpful in our lives even today. And I just want to remind you, if you were here, if you weren't here, this is what we looked at. We learned three things on how to speak, even in the face of opposition. First of all, we saw that when we speak, we need to speak with truth. Uh, there's no place for lying or falsehood. Even if it's uh, for a good reason, there's no reason uh, to, to lie. We need to make sure that we're speaking truth again. Uh, Jesus is our Lord. He's, he's our God. And so he never lied, not one time. He's our example. Even in the toughest of situations, he spoke truth. And so that's what we need to do in our life as well. But there's also some, sometimes we get things messed up and we mix up truth with uh, speaking rightly. So I just told him the truth. Uh, speaking, speaking the truth is also need to be, needs to be spoken with grace. And that's the second thing that we learn. When we speak, we need to speak with grace. Um, it, it's, it's sometimes people's uh, prerogative or even position or their responsibility to tell someone the truth even if it wasn't asked of them um, and, and I'm gonna talk about the gospel truth I'm just talking about I just told them how it was no that's not good um, if you're doing it spitefully again it needs to be done with grace and similarly in uh, the third point we saw when we speak we need to speak with gentleness and here's the tough part right this applies first and form- foremost at home and it applies in the church, it applies at our jobs, it applies all over the place. And so when we look at what Jesus was our example of, his example in all things, and when he spoke, he spoke truth, but he spoke with grace and gentleness. Sometimes we like to disregard the commands of God when it comes to our home life, right? Well, I don't have to speak like that to my spouse or my kids or, or this or that. But that, the Bible doesn't say that. We're supposed to speak with truth, grace, and gentleness at all times. And again, first and foremost... Uh, at our homes. The Sadducees were a group of religious leaders of Jesus' day uh, who didn't believe that the resurrection was true. Matter of fact, they disregarded everything that was supernatural. They didn't, they didn't think that someone could die and actually rise again. And so they were part of the Sanhedrin as well as the Pharisees. And uh, this group had come to Jesus and given him this extremely hypothetical situation. Hey, this guy, he's married, and um, he dies. And according to the law of Moses, His brother is supposed to marry, unmarried brother, is supposed to marry this widow, his his brother's uh, wife. Let's say that that guy dies and the next brother does. Seven times over, this happens. So this woman has been married to seven different brothers in the resurrection. 
Whose wife is she? And so, again, this is an extremely hypothetical situation because it's going to be very rare that that situation would ever play, have played out anyways. But it was in their heart. They were spiteful. They were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to get him caught by the law of Moses, which is so ironic because he's the one who gave the law of Moses. They were trying to trap him with, with this. And so, um, just, just an interesting thing. But his answer, again, was full of truth, grace, and gentleness. And when he did that, it put to silence all of those who were trying to oppose him. Exactly what the truth does still today. And so, again, hopefully that is something that we could uh, have taken with us and used it already in the last couple months since we've been taking a break. If not, hopefully it was a reminder, hey, even at home, at my job, with other believers, I need to be speaking truth, grace, and gentleness. Amen. Let's pray, and we'll get into this morning. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. Again, we thank you, as we've already thanked you, Lord, for the, what we've already experienced through song, or the blessings of being able to praise your name and and give you uh, just the deserved thanks um, that we can, Lord. And, and I pray that uh, you will now just speak to us. Lord, use me as a vessel. I don't want any glory. I want you to get it all. Lord, you're the only one that deserves glory. You're the only one that deserves honor, Lord. And I pray that uh, you would speak to us today and, and your spirit would have full reign uh, to teach and to convince and to convict and uh, to do whatever is necessary in each of our lives, God. We're here as individuals, but also here as a body. And so, Lord, we need uh, you to speak to us, and we want to respond rightly as well. I pray that we wouldn't uh, have our hearts and our minds in a wrong place or somewhere else, God, but we'd be focused on you. And for this moment that we have together in time, uh, again, you would, you would accomplish what you want to accomplish. Lord, I want to pray it again. If there is someone who's lost, there's someone who's never given you control of their life, they've never accepted the free gift of salvation that you offer, I pray that they wouldn't leave this place today without doing that. Uh, God, we want to we see the, the lost saved. We want to see people taken from the grips of sin and, and, and headed to uh, an eternity in the lake of fire to uh, a destiny with you, Lord, an eternity with you. And so we pray you'd move in a great way. And we praise you for all this, God, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 20, if you have your Bibles there, you can look in verse 39. If you don't have your Bibles, okay, it should be on the screen. Verse 39 says... Then certain of the scribes answering said, Master, thou hast well said. After, they, after that, they, durst, or they dared not ask him any question at all. Again, the Sadducees came to him and tried to trap him with that hypothetical situation. Jesus answered uh, that basically they're, they're, he, the woman is not any of their wives. Because in the resurrection, just like the angels, they aren't given a marriage. And that's not how it works uh, in eternity in the resurrection. And so... Um, with that, the scribes said, hey, teacher, you said it right. You said it well. We, we, we read the law, we teach the law, and you said it right. And so his answer also caused them, I think, a little bit of fear. They, they thought, you know, I, I don't know that I want to ask him anymore. I mean, uh, he seems to have this amazing wisdom. But here's the interesting thing that happened when Jesus answered the way he did, with truth and grace and gentleness. This is what happened. The scribes, and particularly um, the Sadducees, were further separated uh, with the truth, or from the truth. And you say, well, if he spoke truth, why, why did that happen? Again, not because he lacked love for them. Jesus knew that they would reject this truth. He, he was God. He knew their heart. He knew that they, would, that they, they wouldn't accept this. So why did he do it? It's not because, he, again, he didn't lack love for them. Here's the reason why. 
they already had their minds made up. They already had their hearts set. They weren't in a place to receive the truth. And so when he spoke these things, it didn't appease their desires. When he said this, it, it, didn't, it didn't sit well with them because they already had a mindset. They already had a way of living. They already had a religion that was suiting themselves, and it pleased themselves. And so when Jesus said this, it further separated them from a sincere relationship with the Lord. This brings up a lot of important, uh, important things for us today. Because when we look at the state of the church, state of e even in America today, we know that there's varying thoughts and varying opinions. We also know even inside of a church like ours that we, we supposedly believe the same thing. There's differing viewpoints. But even when it comes to varying beliefs inside of Christendom, there can be wrong takes. There can be mindsets. There can be heart sets. There can be things that people have set in their minds and the truth just bounces off of that because they're not receptive. Now, I want to say this. When it comes to Jesus, when it comes to Jesus Christ, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to his teachings, there are no different takes. There are, there are no different takes. You don't have, well, I think that Jesus is possibly this. Or I think that God, no. It is, there is one Lord, the Bible says. We saw this last week. There's one truth. There's one gospel. There's one faith. And so with this, I want to see a couple of things. In your notes, you see a couple of verses there. John chapter 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And look at that next statement. The Word was God. The Word is Logos. It's, 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 it's speaking of Jesus. And so he's saying that Jesus was with God in the beginning because he was God in the beginning, before there was time. But it goes on and says this. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him. Without him was not anything that was made that was made. He's the creator. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The Bible also goes on to say in John chapter 1 that he came into, it came into his own, and his own received him not. He was rejected by his own people. The Sadducees were his own people. And so when he came and he spoke truth to them, they didn't receive that. They were in darkness. They didn't understand that. They already had their minds made up. They already had their hearts set. And Jesus speaks truth that further separated them. John chapter 14, verse 1, it says, this is Jesus talking. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to pre prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. What an amazing promise from Jesus Christ. Hey, don't, don't be worried, he says. If you believe, believe in God, believe also in me. There's a place that I'm going to prepare for you, and if I go to prepare it, I'm going to come back to get you, to take you to be where I am. That's an amazing promise. And he goes, and, and whither I go, you know, and, and the way you know. He's telling his disciples, you, you know where I'm going, and you know how to get there. But look at doubting Thomas, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we know not whether you're going. We don't know where you're going. Where are you going? What are you talking about? And how can we know the way if we don't know where you're going? Jesus saith unto him, I love this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh to the Father but by me. But look on. Look on. I, I, I want to read many more scriptures here. He says, If you had known me, you should know my Father also, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it will it'll please us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you? Have I been here so long with you? Yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest then, show us the Father? You, you've seen him. He was the incarnate God. He, incarnate word. He is God in the flesh. Verse 10, Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, and doeth the work. he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Very, very, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. If we skip to verse 15, look what he says. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I'll pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, and he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. Jesus said, I'm going to go away, I'm going to prepare a place, and I'm going to come back and get you, but I'm going to leave you a comforter who is going to be with you forever. It's the spirit of truth. Look at the next words. Whom the world cannot receive. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but... You know him. He's talking to his followers. He's talking to those that have placed their faith in him. He's talking to those who have surrendered all. He says, you, you know him. You've received him because he dwells in you and he shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live. Ye shall live also. And that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, listen to this, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. John chapter 17, this is in Jesus' prayer for his followers. The same people who have placed their faith in him. Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, For I have given unto them, those follow, his followers, the words which thou gavest me, the Father gave to the Son, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. They, they believe that I'm the Christ, that I'm the sent one from God, the anointed one from God. They believe that. The, our followers believe that. And look at verse 13. It says, and now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Did you hear that? Jesus said, I gave them the words that were spoken, that you gave to me to speak to them. I gave to them. I speak in the world. I, I give them those same words that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Listen, here's the lie of the enemy. Here's the deception that the world gives to the lost world today. That when you believe in Jesus Christ, if you try to obey his commands that you will have a life of misery and your life will be over. That's a lie of Satan. Jesus said, I gave them the words that you spoke to me. I spoke it to them in the world that my joy, the joy of Almighty God would be fulfilled in them. See, it's the blinders, it's the darkness, it's the deception that Satan has 
on those that are lost in this world. That as soon as you surrender all to Jesus and as soon as you start being one of those church people, that your life will be over. That it will be no more fun. They can no more do the things that you used to do. And again, that's a simple lie from the enemy. Because those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ have found that there is no greater joy, there's no greater peace that we have than other than when we are walking in obedience to the Lord. Because we know that as soon as that, that we are, when we're in a relationship with them and we're not walking in obedience, we can be some of the most miserable people on earth. But he says, I've given them so that my joy might be fulfilled. Look, look, he says it again in verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. Because they're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. He says, I, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. I'm not praying that you'll take our followers out of this world, but that you would guard them from evil, protect them from evil. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. And so here's what he says. Sanctify them through thy truth. Amen. And then he says this. Thy word is truth. So what does this mean for us? This means that the word of God is that separating factor. The word of God, the, the spoken truth, the, the revealed truth, the written word of God, all of it is that separating factor for the believers in Jesus Christ and those who are unbelievers. The sad thing today is there's so many people even claiming to be preachers who try to make this connection with the world and the word of God and it doesn't happen. Now we see all kinds of, uh, of, of uh, illustrations and useful things in the world that, that, that uh, we can gain from scripture, yes. But the way of the world does not line up with the word of God. It's, it's, it's two, se two separate lines. The Word of God. Dividing element for believers and the world. Again, Jesus, the incarnate Word, said, I've given them thy word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. So, when there's this irreconcilable division inside of those who are believers in Jesus Christ... It has to be something. And here's what it is. It's an absolute disregard for Jesus Christ himself. Absolutely. It's an absolute disregard for Scripture, for God. It's, it's an absolute. When we say, you know what, there's something I just can't work through, I just can't get beyond, I just can't be reconciled with another believer, I can't be in unity with the body of Christ, it's a disregard for Jesus Christ himself. Again, if we see the Sadducees, they were divided against Christ because, again, they weren't following him. They didn't believe him. They were in darkness. They were unbelievers. And, and when he spoke truth, it just further divided them because they weren't willing to accept his truth. They weren't interested in following him. Listen to this. Once they realized that his teaching contradicted their beliefs, or contradicted their religious system, it hardened them even more. So they were willing to just completely disregard and de depart from anything that didn't please them. And here's the sad part. Even if it meant an eternity separated from God. 
The same thing happens still today, though. Many people believe that you don't have to believe in Jesus Christ only to go to heaven. Some people think, well, as long as I'm good, as long as I, I said a prayer, or as long as I do this, that, 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 I, that I, I believe that God will let me into heaven. Some people believe that you don't have to actually follow him if you believe in him. I want to say that again. Some people believe that you don't have to actually follow Jesus Christ if you believe in Jesus Christ. But I want to look at what we already looked at once more. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. He is the only way to the Father. He's the only way to heaven. If somebody says, I, 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 I want to go to heaven, but I don't know about Jesus, there's no. He is the only way. And some people say, well, what about all these other religions? We'll talk about that in just a second. But further down in verse 15 of that same chapter, it says, again, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved to my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Point number one this morning, if you have your notes, is so important. It's this, trusting Christ divides the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. Trusting Christ, which includes trusting his word, believing his word wholeheartedly. When we trust in Jesus Christ, it, it, it makes a clear line from the kingdom of God, which is eternal, and the kingdom of this world, which will perish away. Back in Luke chapter 12, we already saw what Jesus ex explained. But again, the lines have been drawn. We shouldn't be surprised that it still happens today. Again, in Luke chapter 12, it's Jesus saying, Suppose ye that I am come to, to, to give peace on earth. Now, of course, he brought the peace of God to earth. But Jesus in his, his teaching, his, his, his person, his life, it divided he said, I tell you, no, I, I, I haven't come to give peace, I, but rather division. Right. And that may confuse some people. Say, well, I thought he's the prince of peace. He is the prince of peace. There's no other peace that you can have outside of Jesus Christ. Hey. That's why so many people in the world are struggling to find peace. And they can't find it in alcohol. They can't find it in drugs. They can't find it in pornography. They can't find it in, 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 in extramarital affairs. They can't find it in fornication. They can't find it in any, any sin. They can't find it in anything. Because Jesus Christ is the only source of true peace. But he came to this earth and he had a message from heaven that was contrary to the, 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 to the theology and the religion of this world. And that's why he said, I've, I've, I've come to bring division. He says, because from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, the son against the father, mother against her daughter, the daughter against her mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Listen to this. It's not that Jesus desired that. It's not that Jesus wanted to divide, divide houses. It's the reality of accepting Jesus Christ versus rejecting Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus was speaking. He was speaking truth. He said, look, I'm coming to this earth, and the reality is this. Some people will accept, and some people will reject. His will was that all would accept. It says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. But the truth is, is that not all will accept. Good, 
See, to not accept Jesus Christ is to reject him. And to accept him means to trust him wholly. Yes. That's good. So have you, so we asked that question, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? What does that mean? Just, just this mental acceptation of Jesus coming and dying on the cross and, and, and being buried and three days later rising again. It's not just a mental acceptation of that. It means to trust him wholly. What does trust him wholly mean? What is to trust, to accept Jesus Christ is to trust Jesus Christ wholly. What is to trust Jesus Christ wholly mean? Here it is. It's to relinquish all control of your life. That's what trusting Jesus Christ wholly is, is relinquishing all control of your life to him. I no longer make decisions based upon what the world thinks I should do. I no longer live my life based off of what I think I want to do. I know I've relinquished that control and I've made Jesus the Lord of my life. I've accepted him, I've trusted him wholly as Savior and Lord. And so where he leads, I will follow. Remember what he said? If you love me, keep my commandments. If you have this trust, you will follow. Proverbs 14, 12 and Proverbs 16, 25 say the same thing essentially. It says there's a way that's right, that seemeth right unto men, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So what about all those religions and all those other people that think that they've got the right way? There's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof, end thereof are the ways of death. If, if you look at the, and research it, Jesus Christ, the God of this Bible, is the only one that goes back before time. Every other religion is a man-made religion. That's why point number two is vital this morning. Trusting Christ means abandoning your reliance on all others. So trusting Christ wholly means to relinquish control of your life wholly. And what that looks like is an, ab is an abandonment of everything else. Beliefs, again, ways to heaven, other teachings, uh, an abandonment of reliance upon yourself, an abandonment of, of the reliance upon the control that you have in life. It's a complete abandonment of those things. Back in our text in verse 41, it says, And he said unto them, How say they that Christ is David's son? It's understood, and we have to know that the Messiah, according to prophecy, it would be called the son of David. He would sit on the throne of David. Uh, that's, that's just the, 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 the reality of it. But Jesus begins to proposition them with this, this, um, this ironic situation. Look what he says. Is that, how is it that they say Christ is David's son? And David himself in the book of Psalms said this. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand. The Lord God said to my Lord Christ, sit thou on my right hand. And look what he says, till thy enemies make, uh, make thy enemies thy footstool. In verse 44, Jesus asked them, David therefore calleth him Lord? How is he then his son? If he's his Lord, how is he his son? He, he said, well, what was Jesus doing? He was trying to correct their doctrine, their false doctrine, their false belief, their false understanding, 
they, they had not understood who Jesus Christ was. They had not understood who the Messiah was. They had not understood that he was standing before them and trying to teach them the truths of eternity. They hadn't understood all that. And so he's correcting their, 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 their wrong ideas. See, so they had these ideas that they couldn't reconcile spiritually, uh, scripturally. They had these thoughts. They had these beliefs. They had this, this, this way of thinking and way of living. They thought, this is acceptable to God, but they couldn't reconcile that with Scripture. And so Jesus begins to proposition them with things that are very important and very true to their even Judaism, but they had all mixed up and, and messed up. But listen to me. That's exactly what many religions and denominations do today. And I'm not looking to bash in, in anybody, uh, you know, other denominations, but the reality is this. There are so many people trying to, to, with so much effort, trying to make people believe what they want them to believe. I'm going to promise you this. That is not in my heart. My, what, what I want and what this church wants is for me and all of us to believe what God wants, what God says. That's who we are, followers of Jesus Christ. Not followers of Kyle, followers of some other uh, man-made doctrine. It's not that. And that's where man has messed it all up. You say, why do we have denominations? Why do we have so many religions? Because man got in there and got, got it messed up. That's exactly why. To Christ, the word Christ means anointed one sent from God. It means Messiah. Messiah means an anointed one. To understand this means that you have to understand that he was sent from God, that he is God. And to accept him, to trust him, means that you acknowledge and accept his sacrifice for sin, for your sin, for my sin. But not just that. It means that you accept his lordship as well. That means that, that he is the director. He, he, is, he is the captain. He, he is the one giving the orders, and we are the one following and obeying. That's the way it works. It's not that we say, I have this idea of what my Christian life looks like, and I'm going to tell God, and I'm going to live it out, and I'm gonna, it's going to be okay. Because I think that's the way it should be. Listen, the majority of Jews in Jesus' day rejected his lordship, rejected his Messiah-ship. They, 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 they rejected this completely, and they were relying on their own system, their own thought process. They, they, they had modified, they had fabricated, they had done these things to their own earthly benefit. They said, you know what? This type of mentality, this type of belief, these type of actions, this works for me in my life. That's where many of the Jews were. And they were religious. I mean, they were at the synagogue every single Sabbath day. But they were not fitting into the truth. They were not accepting Jesus as Lord, and they were lost. Again, Jesus came and he spoke truth, and in speaking truth, he destroyed man's religion and man's man-made efforts. And he set the right way to God straight. Here's what it was. Here's what it is. Faith alone in Christ alone. 
It's always been that way. It's always been that way. Some people say, well, I thought the Old Testament was about the law. No, 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 no. The law came because of the offense. And it, it was even explained in, in Galatians. They're, they're from, from Abraham to Moses, what happened? The law was added because of the offense, the Bible says, because of sin. It's always been by faith. But what is lordship? What does Christ as Lord mean? What, what does that actually mean? It's very simple. It means everything, every thought, every word, every action, every decision submitted to him. That's what it means. Him as Lord means that we are submitted in every area and aspect of our lives that he has entrusted and given to us in our will, all of it submitted to him. See, these things didn't make the religious leaders happy who had the people under their thumb. The people, the religious leaders of the day, were, were patting their pockets. They were, they were lifting themselves up. They were, they were living a life that was a, a life of celebrity and luxury. And, and, and even today, in, in much of what we call the church, you see that going on. I mean, you can turn on TV and see a lot of that. But these religious leaders were doing things for themselves. In James chapter 3, Verse 1, it says this. It says that many people shouldn't be teachers. Many believers shouldn't be teachers because teachers are going to receive a stricter judgment. Those people who are held responsible to teach and preach the truth of God's word will be held to a stricter account, to a stricter judgment. It's not, so it's not some flippant thing to, to teach a Sunday school class or to be a pastor or to be a preacher or to, to lead a, a Christ. It's not something light. It's something very heavy and a very heavy and serious responsibility because everybody, the Bible says, will stand before the Lord one day and give an account. Those who are teachers will give us, have to have, face a, strict, a stricter judgment. Jesus has already pronounced some dreadful woes on the religious leaders of his day in, in our study. He's already talked about how they are completely off and they are, they are wrong in, in what they're doing. Matter of fact, he said that they're worse off than anyone. They had been given this by the Lord himself. But today many people are doing the same thing. And they will be judged for it too. I have just a few minute clip that I want to show. And I want you to listen to this. Uh, this this uh, speaker, his name is Paul Washer, talk about church today and pastors today. If you'll just watch it for a few minutes. What are we doing when we assemble as the saints? Well, this is where I'm going to turn it back on its head. Um, in most churches in America, if I walked in, I wouldn't know what they were doing, to be honest with you. Because we have left behind the doctrine of sola scriptura in the church. So churches are basically based on the cleverness and pragmatism and charismatic personality of leaders. And it's done by entertaining people or by keeping them busy. You see, people want to have meaning in their life. They, they, they either want to be entertained or they want to have some kind of meaning. So you make them busy. You make them part of a machine. You make them part 
of a vision, of a charismatic leader, and you get them all headed in the same direction. That's why, you know, a 60-year-old accountant for Walmart ends up joining a, bank, a biker game, gang and going to Sturgis, you know, and hanging out with all the, the, the people. Why? Because he's looking for something. So you can build a church on all kinds of things that aren't biblical. And that is the great problem. A lot of the excuses that are happening today, there is no excuse, but they're founded upon the fact that pastors do not fear God and are not managing God's bride according to the dictates He's given them. Furthermore, a lot of pastors are building their own kingdoms on the bones of unconverted church members. So that's why we've got the mess. On the day of judgment, do not, do not fear for the atheist so much the thief, the murderer. If you want to be afraid for someone on the Day of Judgment, be afraid for those who carried the title pastor. Let me give you an example. I gave this example last night. Let's say that a king had a bride. He loved her. He dressed her in white. She was pure and precious to him. And the people admired her for her, for her virtue, for her merit. And the king has to go on a long journey, and so he, he uh, tells his steward, he calls his steward in and he says, here are the directions, and you are to care for my bride. You do not deviate from this, not, not one jot or tittle, and when I come back, you'll be rewarded, or I'll come back and you will be severely punished. Keep this book, these instructions with regard to her. Well, after a few years, this steward realizes that the people are losing their loyalty in the king. And they're no longer concerned about the bride because, well, she's just prudish. She's old-fashioned. So he takes her and dresses, takes off her beautiful white garment and replaces it with something really sensual. Paints her face like a prostitute and then marches her up and down the kingdom and uses this new look to attract carnal men back into the kingdom. When that king comes back, there, there are no words to describe what He will do to that steward. And when Jesus Christ comes back, there are no words to describe what He will do to many of these men who call themselves pastors who have done to His bride exactly what the steward did in that parable I just told. And I think that's what we see today. I agree with you. I think there are many people who are expecting something different out of the church. And Jesus came and, and he spoke truth into a group of religious people, a, 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 a body of religious people who had their own system, who had their own ways, who had their own mindset and, and, and were doing all of these religious practices. And, and he spoke and when he spoke, it separated them from God even further. Some of them though, humbled themselves. Some of them, even men like Nicodemus, who, who was a Pharisee, and, and others who, who, who said, you know what, I need to know more. You're speaking truth. I, I want to submit to you. I want to follow you. And it changed their lives forever. Not only was it a problem for the religious leaders, it was a problem for the lost population as a whole. Even though they were seeking and desiring peace and eternal life, like many people today, if, if we were to take a poll in this place, even in this church service, and say, how many people want peace, eternal life, and, and joy for, forevermore? I think every single person would raise their hand. But I think, like many then, we would find many today. We want that, but we still want to control our lives. We still want it our way. 
What they weren't seeing and what many today don't see is this truth. It's the basis of this journey with Jesus, this study. And back in Luke chapter 9, we went through it, and it says this. It came to pass, he was alone praying. His disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Who, Whom do the people say that I am? And, and they answered him, saying, Well, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others say that you're one of the old prophets that has risen again. But he said unto them, But who do you say that I am? You're following me. You've left everything to follow me. Who who am I to you? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're God incarnate. You're sent to be the Savior of the world. You are God. That's who you are to us. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be slain, and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, if any man wants to follow me, he has to deny himself. That means he has to let go of control. He has to let go of his own will. He has to let go of everything and take up his cross and follow me. That's Jesus' words. That's what Jesus said. So Jesus explained what true salvation looks like. He said, let him deny himself and follow me. Deny his theology. Deny his religion. Deny everything that he has set up and that he thinks is right and follow me. how do you follow Christ? What does that look like? When somebody says, are you following Christ? What, what does that look like? I mean, he's, he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God right now. I mean, what does following Jesus Christ look like? He's no longer in the earthly flesh like he was 2,000 years ago when, in, in the text we're studying. What does following Jesus Christ look like today? It looks like our lives emulating his life. And how does that work? See, here's the amazing blessing of God. The Word was incarnate, but He also breathed it. To writers who wrote down His Word. And we have it in written form today. So what following Jesus looks like is obeying Him. And that's exactly what He said. If you love me, keep my commandments. Further on in that chapter, in verse 24, it says, For whosoever will save his life, will hang on to his life. No, but but I've got this way. I don't really want to go and give up every... I I have a good life right now. I like my job. I like my hobbies. I like my time. I like all these things. He said, whosoever will save his life will lose it. But whosoever will lose his life, that means give up control for my sake. The same shall save it. And then he asked this amazing question. What is it advantage a man if he gain the whole world and lose himself? Or be a castaway? What is it, what is it profit if you've got your job and your money and your friends and your fame and, and your, the life that you live is the way you want to live it? If you've got all those things and at the end of it all you spend eternity in the lake of fire, what does it advantage you? It advantages you none. You lose it all at the end of it. He says, for whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him 
shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his glory in the fathers and of the holy angels. And that leads to the last point, number three, trusting Christ is manifested in obedience. Again, when we trust and truly love the Lord, our lives look like disciples. In other words, we are following his commands. I'm not saying in any of this that someone is sinless or perfect, that I am or anybody in this room or any Christian ever has ever been sinless or perfect. But it means as the course of our life, the desire of our heart, the mindset in our brain is, I want to obey my Lord. I, I, do, I don't want to do something that, that, well, other people, no, what does the Lord say? Well, I know the other Christians, no, no, what does Jesus say? Well, this other church, no, what does Jesus say? We are followers of Christ. And so when we say, I have accepted him, I have trusted him, I've relinquished control, he's my Lord now, I submit everything to him, means that I turn to his word, I listen when there's a, a Sunday school lesson or, or a message, I listen and I grab it and I say, okay, I want to do that because it's God's word, it's my Lord's word to me and I'm supposed to follow him. Because I want to follow him. Because I love him. That's what he said, if you love me, Keep my commands. There's a lot of people that claim to have a relationship with God through trust in Christ. But please listen, I'm about to close. They say, I've got a relationship with God because I've put my faith in Jesus Christ. But their obedience to his commands are extremely spotty. Because listen, they're trying to do it in their own strength. Without the spirit inside them. And that's what Paul Washer was saying. Trying to build upon the bones of unconverted sinners. So unfortunately, I think there's a lot of people that go to church and try to do a lot of religious things and try to do a lot of good things. But they know in their heart they've never surrendered their all to Jesus. They've never relinquished that control to him. And so they're trying to live this religious life or even this Christian life. They're trying to follow Jesus Christ in their own strength without the help of the Spirit. Listen, that's impossible. You will fail and fall and miss, and it will just be a life of misery the whole time. Listen to what Romans chapter 8 says. It says, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Spirit of God inside of us bears witness with ours that I am the Spirit of God. And he goes on and says, and if children that heirs and heirs of God and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be also glorified together. These who are trying to do it in their own strength don't have the spirit of God and have not truly relinquished control of their life. They can disregard even the littlest commands of God and excuse them as not very big deals. I know God's word says this, but it's not. Sometimes dealing with guilt that's associated with simply not feeling, fitting in with the status quo of a social group. Everybody else is doing this. I'm going to look bad if I'm not doing this. They, they, they deal with that. But they don't truly deal with sincere conviction of the spirit that's only experienced in the spiritual group of God's people. Those who have the Spirit of God inside them. See, a lot of people, they never feel that conviction of the Spirit when they're out of fellowship with God, when they're not following God's commands. They don't experience that. And so they can explain away, well, it's not a big deal if I don't do this or I'm not that. I mean, I know that you're like that, but I'm not like that. 
They can do that because the Spirit is not inside them. Because if the Spirit was inside them, just as, it bore, just as Scripture just said, not me, Scripture, that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. And so when we step out of line with the Spirit, which is in line with the Word of God, conviction comes in. You could get a whooping. Amen. But we saw in Scripture, there's one Spirit. When the spirit of man or flesh goes in opposition to the spirit of God, which again is in line with the word of God, it happens every time. And the reason why it happens, the reason why the whooping, the reason why the correction, the conviction happens, here's why. It's not because God's looking down from above going, I can't wait for them to mess up. You know, it's not like that. Because remember what Jesus said? That my joy would be fulfilled in them. And so when we get off that track and we have the Spirit of God inside of us and the conviction of God comes in our life and we're convicted to bring us back in line with the Word of God, in the Spirit of God, it's so that we can experience that life full of joy and all the blessings that are associated with being an heir, a joint heir with Christ. That's why. It's not that God's like, I can't wait to give you a spanking again. That's not what God is doing. God has wanted to give us His blessings. Just like I want to give my daughters my blessings. That's why it's extremely troubling that someone can claim to be a child of God, a spirit-indwelt follower of Christ. And again, even the littlest of things like gathering with the building of God, the church of God, the people of God. Or something like having outstanding ought with a brother or sister of Christ. Not be in unity or desire to be in unity. That's, that, that's extremely troubling. Someone has that. It grieves the Spirit of God. For the true child of God, the true child of God, it brings about conviction that can only be remedied through repentance and reconciliation. That's it. Again, back in our text, a religious crowd, they hadn't understood, they hadn't accepted, trusted Jesus Christ. They're too busy trying to prove their own points that they were right instead of simply humbling themselves and trusting Jesus Christ. Again, the same thing happens today as the musicians make their way. Many people, lots of people today who even attend church claim Christ as Savior. Please listen, but don't live as he's their Lord. They claim that he's their savior, but they don't live their lives like he's their Lord. And you can't have one without the other. In James chapter 2, you can read it when you get an opportunity, maybe when you get home, says this very thing. That faith without works is dead. And it simply means this, that that. Faith produces works. What are works? What are the works they're talking about? They're talking about good works. And what are good works? Good works are simply the manifestation of obedience. Our deciding to obey the Lord produces good works. That, that's what happens whenever you have true faith, sincere trust in Jesus Christ. Obedience flows. When, when we have that faith and when we're in, in, in the right fellowship with the Lord, we're not looking for ways that we can still live our lives for ourselves. Now, the flesh tries to pull us that way, but in our heart of hearts, that's what the Apostle Paul said in uh, Romans chapter 7. 
He said, man, I, I do things that I don't want to do, and I don't do things that I want to do. And I find inside that there's this war battling inside my members. Inside, the inner man delights after the law of God. But this flesh wants to obey the law of sin still. But he said this, that inner man delights after the law of God. And so if you're here today and you say, I know without a shadow of a doubt, I believe Jesus Christ is my Savior and he's my Lord. I've surrendered my life to him. I remember that moment. Uh, It may not have been an altar. It may have been somewhere else. It may have been all alone by yourself, just you and the Lord. But I remember that day that, that I surrendered my life. I relinquished control. I, I, I acknowledged him and I accepted him. I trusted him that his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient for my sins. I believe without a shadow of a doubt, as crazy it may sound in the world today, that he actually got up out of that grave and he's alive still today. I believe it without a shadow of a doubt. I accept it so much that I, I want to follow him. He is my Lord. I, I, I look to him and I listen for him and, and I obey his word. I want to obey his word alone. If that's you, then I want to encourage you. Let's make sure that our lives stay in line with that. That, that we don't, they don't want disregard the Spirit's conviction, but we, we stay in right fellowship with the Lord through obedience and His Word and right fellowship with each other the same way. But if you're here today and you say, I, I might be a little like the Sadducees. I kind of have my own mindset of what my life should look like. I don't, I don't turn to God's Word very often to see how I should be living. I kind of do my own thing and I have this mind belief that Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead and I believe that he's the only way. I have that in my mind, but my life is truly not submitted to him as Lord. I do my own thing most of the time. I decide what I want to do most of the time. If that's you, then I want to challenge you. No matter how long you may have claimed to be a Christian or how long you've been in church, these Sadducees had been religious their whole lives. And if they didn't change and accept Jesus Christ and submit to him as Lord and Savior, they were on their way to a lake of fire for all of eternity. The same as us today. So don't chance it. Don't don't say, well, I hope I'm going to heaven. No. I want to encourage you today. You can come down here. We'll have a couple of men. If you're a lady, you'd like to talk to a lady, we can get a lady. And we show you in God's word even more. Look, this is what it is. It's not just what Pastor Kyle thinks or believes or what he was saying today. This is scripture. We've read scripture today. And they'll point more scripture out. And you have to do just like everybody else. Make a a, a once and final decision. Am I truly going to trust him? Or am I going to reject him by not trusting him? A decision. I want to encourage you to really think about it. During this invitation, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would just move now in this invitation. God, let your spirit move. and, And I pray our response to your word in this message would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name.